Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome, young adventurers. Dylan here. And on today's podcast, I have Celia Litvin. She is a psychologist, founder, and CEO of SciApps, a developer of the multi-award winning EQO, the emotional fitness game. Her Techstar portfolio company uses gamification and psychology to help people and help themselves. So without any delay, I'd like to welcome Celia. Welcome, Celia. Hi, Dylan. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. I am excited to chat with you and your emotional fitness game that you've created. Um, I'd love to just get started to just start off with your origin story. Just a little bit about um, what got you uh, into psychology and what ultimately got you into the gamification with AI and all that jazz to create an emotional fitness game? Yeah, the, the orig origin story. So um, I am actually German and I was born in Germany, but I grew up in Southern California when I was a child. And then when I was about between nine and 10 years old, we moved from California back to Europe. We were in Luxembourg for a while. We were in France for a little bit and then we moved to Germany. And even though like there's not that big of a culture gap between let's say America and France or Germany or between Luxembourg and Germany, there is a lot going on specifically for a child. And I always had this feeling that life was very chaotic and that there was no patterns that I could recognize. And I felt very kind of vulnerable to, to life as a child. I remember this feeling quite strongly. And then my on my sister's birthday party, I was 12 years old. Someone gave her a book about body language. I remember opening that book and going like, wow, my mind was blown that there was a science that could help you understand that there was rules and and um, a science behind behavior, emotions, reactions, cognitions, and all these things. And that was when I said, okay, when I'm going to be a grown-up, I'm going to be a psychologist. And I, I guess I'm one of the very lucky people who the more they learn about the field that they want to work in, the more they love it, the more the intrigue they get. And um, I ended up being a psychologist. I went a little... It was a, a winded path. I didn't go like straight from university, I mean, from school to university, but um, ended up in the field. And I have to say, I still love it. And um, I'm, I'm knee deep in research and it, it's it's a great field. That's awesome. So, I mean, just talking before you go into the, the, the gamification app space, psychology, I mean, what what personally, like, what, what excites you about it? What about the whole concept of it is something that, that you know, continues you to, to have you become a seeker and continue to develop and refine your skills? I have, I guess you could almost call it a philosophy that I think that mentally healthy people with the skill sets to be able to deal with whatever life throws at them. And it doesn't matter, mean that life's going to be easy or good to them or anything, but that they are able to process, you know, bad situations, grieve, anger and all these things in psychologically beneficial ways are people who are innately able to experience happiness and joy and are going to be a lot less likely to cause pain and and make the right life choices right so i i believe that there is kind of like a fundamental core in 
almost all religions and in um, positive psychology, meditations, and, and spiritual findings that all come to this core is that if you know how to use your brain the right way, then you can find happiness and be a good person and add value to society in a way that brings joy to everyone. And I feel that a lot of the time people make bad choices that hurt themselves and others because they simply don't have that information. Like when I was younger, I used to be very, I used to struggle very much with anger issues, right? I would get so angry. Like I almost broke a toe kicking a pole because I missed the bus, right? <laughs> it was that bad. And yeah. it, it, it didn't add any value. It was just, it's, I was suffering, the pole was suffering, the people around me were like, what's happening? You know, so when I start to learn to be able to process the anger in a way that didn't harm myself or others, the anger has much less of an effect on me and uh, I'm, I'm not going to cause other people harm. Y you know what I mean? So yes. I want to be able to unlock this knowledge in a way that is easily accessible and implementable by everyone. And if you take that a very far step in the future, I, that would be like the, the, the source of utopia is that, you know, shit still hits the fan, but if it does, people know how to process that in, in a beneficial way. And that's, that's my goal. So that's okay. That's uh, I love the goal, and you're and you're right. The if um, a lot of people that cause harm and pain are primarily because they are in pain, right? They're, yes. They're, and they and they don't know how to process their feelings, and because of that, you know, there's I've always felt there's always two sources of energy or two ways to go about things. Almost always, right? There is the there is like um, two forms of energy. There's there's sugar that you can use, mm -hmm. or there's fats that you can use. Right there, mm -hmm. you know the the or there's there's pain or there's pleasure. There's you can you can you can get rid of your pain by opening up and being vulnerable and letting go, or you can you can do it by beating up on someone else and by just passing the buck of pain to somebody else. So, mm -hmm. um, or releasing it by kicking your toe against the thing. <laughs> against a pole. It, Super it, helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it. You're expressing your frustration, and 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 for some odd reason, when you experience when you cause pain on yourself, it somehow lowers it. Like I know, like I don't. I'm sure there's uh, there's something there. I, you made a face, yeah. so I'd love for you to dive. I'd love for you to dive into that a little bit. Yeah. Of, of where that is and why people do that, and, and I'm not saying it's it's healthy, but people do it. And so mm -hmm. let's mm -hmm. first, first talk about the realness of the situation, and then then we can talk a little bit about accessing happiness, accessing mm -hmm. joy. What does mm -hmm. that look like? Um, and and so, but let's first start. Let's start with the pain. Um. Well. I think that if you look at it, most of us come from second, third, fourth, fifth generation of trauma, right? So um, maybe not our parents directly, but their parents for sure have either participated in, been through, or experienced some kind of war, right? Um, and that comes with so much trauma and, and survival instincts and everything. And there's been research that you can actually show how trauma changes people's DNA, right? So it's not just behavioral, it actually, it becomes who you are to, to go through trauma, right? And that is many, many years, and we're, we're not just talking about war, but we're talking about systemic abuse, like racism or sexism, or, you know, even for men um, having to take care of everything and man up and kill other men, things like that, you know? So society in general has managed to kind of create all these situations where people emerge alive, but 
possibly not striving and mentally, emotionally impaired by that, right? Yeah. And for the first time in history, we have a, a go or an opportunity to possibly break the cycle of trauma by having access to help in a way that allows us to process our and our generational trauma and and stop the pain so it's not reactory anymore it's not part of our our behavioral dna it's just you know that we have the choice to either react or not react in a certain way and and what we take upon ourselves and what we don't um and it's it's really a very simple thing that you can learn easily even in a game like mine so let's say for example pain you experience the world as a hostile aggressive place right with that mindset and that belief, everything that you experience will go through that filter, right? So if you bump into someone in a club or you know on the street or something, you will say, I've been bumped into, the world is aggressive, ergo that person has attacked me by not going out of the way, this was intentional, right? And it, if that's the only thing you know and you don't have the tool set to even question that belief, you're gonna go through the world beating people up that bump into you or at least being so angry about it that you know your your day and your emotions are clouded by constantly being on the lookout for aggressors and being aggressive yourself and if you go for example to cbt cognitive behavioral therapy one of the main core things that is questioning your beliefs so to force your brain to come up with different explanations for being bumped into person didn't see you the person is, uh, you know, in thoughts. The person is drunk and can't coordinate themselves anymore. The person is, you know, uh, not able to go out of the way because their coordination isn't good. A lot of different options to interpret that situation, right? And alone being able to choose one of these other options will bring a different kind of... Um, the cognition is completely different of being bumped into. Ergo, the pain and aggression doesn't need to be awoken or arisen anyway. So you don't even have to go into the pain. And the more you experience that, the less you'll be in the pain and anger mindset. And and when I'm saying some people that listening to us might say, okay, but we're talking about pain. We're not talking about anger, right? There are prim, uh, premier or uh, first emotions, and then there are second emotions, primary and secondary emotions. Um, and the primary emotion is often very simple. It's pain, fear, anger, joy, things like that. And then the secondary emotion is how do you feel about the emotion that you're experiencing? And is that acceptable? And if not, what can we change that, translate that into? And often fear is perceived as not acceptable by oneself, by society, whatever. So it's changed into anger, right? So, yeah. <laughs> I love this. It's fantastic. So, um, okay. So, so diving into this, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Um, how does that differ from narrative therapy, which you're talking about changing your stories um, versus the behaviors? I'd, I'd love for you to dive into that and explain the differences between, you know, what is cognitive behavioral therapy and what is narrative therapy and what is the difference and, and why you chose one over the other? Okay. You just um, asked me to, to go through about two or three different education cycles because unfortunately, when you're a psychologist, you often have to kind of choose a school of thought and then go that way, right? Because cognitive behavioral therapy is an education in itself. Narrative therapy is an education in itself. Analytics is an education of itself. So personally... <laughs> 
long or short form, I'll just, you know, I'll clear my calendar. So. <laughs> exactly. And, and give me another 15 years, I'll come back and I'll be able to explain it even better. Um, but so the, the whole idea with cognitive behavioral therapy is that it often, it, it goes for the low hanging fruit and to deal with symptoms and not so much the cause roots of things. So it's, we don't ask you, why do you translate being bumped into aggression and how did that happen in your childhood we say okay this is your belief how can we change the belief and does it have a, a direct impact on your life and your life experience right so that's cognitive behavioral therapy and it's usually about symptoms and actionable items and um it's quite short often like anywhere between 14 and 21 sessions is your average cognitive behavioral therapy this uh, narrative therapy is more about going into the story revisiting it with your adult and hopefully more mature and more skilled psychological setting and being able to reframe and analyze and change the story and heal retrospectively. So I would say um, I was beat up by my dad and he used to say if the world is aggressive and if someone bumps into you and you don't punch them in the face, that means you're weak and you're worthless. For example, I'm not, obviously this is all very much exaggerated, right? Sure. So if if that's the way I grew up and I experienced my adults and then started experiencing the world in that, I can go back in narrative therapy and say, okay, how did this happen? And then start understand this wasn't me. This was my father's worldview that I internalized and that I can maybe manage now to take a step back. And there's all kinds of different exercises how to do that. And Often when you reframe something with your, it, it, it feels like it dissolves itself. You, you, you start to go like, wow, that thing that I thought was like this is actually like that. And I can deal so much better with that. And it's having less and less effect on my life. That's, that's super interesting because you're talking about, you know, be in order to operate in this reality, you have certain ground truths that we run by. Right. There's that ground truth that the, the world is dangerous. Mm -hmm. uh, people that bump into me are jerks. Uh, uh, often people that drive. Uh, anybody yes. That, any, anybody that drives faster than you is crazy. Anybody that drives slow yes. is an asshole. And that's yes. just like, it doesn't matter how fast it is or slow it is. That is your reality as you travel through it because it's all relative yes. to your conditioning. Yes. So, so same thing true. Like what happens um, just like psychologically happens when you start to, detach yourself from those stories that bind the truth. Like what's, what's happening in that? You're talking about the dissolving of that. And I know there's mm -hmm. uh, uh, other ways to uh, go about that, but what do you, do you, can you explain a little bit about what's happening there? So um, you've probably heard the term neuroplasticity, right? And it, it's very much linked to, so I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist. So I, I study the brain to a certain amount so I can say, okay, this is the amygdala and there's a prefrontal cortex and stuff like that, but that's about the amount. In, in a way, your brain transforms or, or trans, uh, puts information back and forth in certain pathways, right? And the stronger your belief is and the more often you do it, the stronger the pathway is. And by dissolving that pathway, questioning it, challenging it, and practicing to do it differently, you restructure the way your brain sends information back and forth. When I, when I try to explain this like in pictures, 
I say, for example, if you go through a meadow to get to, you know, your yard or to go to a, a brook or something that you like to go through, right? And there's a meadow and there's high grass. You go through it the first time, you're going to leave like a tread of grass behind where your steps were, right? The next time you go to that exact point, if not a lot of time has passed, you'll see, oh, that's a path I took the first time. So you're much more likely to go that path again instead of doing a new path, right? So you're going to go. And the more often, the deeper the trench or path gets it. So it starts, the grass doesn't grow there at all anymore. All of a sudden it goes deeper and then all of a sudden water comes running and so on and so forth. You can see that a mental disorder could be considered almost like a, 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 what, what do you call them? Like deep, a deep trench or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Trench You've gotten so deep that like, the meadow is already over your head. You can't even see the grass anymore. Right. And to get out of that is very hard, but to go past something where the grass is just treaded on a different path. If you know what to look for and what to, that's different. And so we, through cognitive behavioral therapy and the exercise, we are forcing the brain to not go straight into that trench, but to stand in front of it and say, okay, can I go left or can I go right? And then you go like, oh, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this, but you can do that. And the thing is, the trench goes less and less and less, but it's still gonna be there probably for the rest of your life. It's really, really deep. That's why addictions, you know, once you have an addiction, the probability most people say, I'm a recovering addict. They don't say, I'm, I'm done with addiction, right? Because they know that trench is always going to be there and the brain is is wired to go down that way. Yeah, I look at it like gravity. It's like the if you're on if you're like on the planet, then you're basically stuck to it. But the farther you get away from it, the less pull it yeah. has on you. But if you get near yeah. it, it's going to pull you into it and you'll get yeah, sucked. You'll get yeah, sucked that's a hole. good good way to see it, yeah. yeah that's, so, that's okay. That makes a ton of sense. So that's why then... It's, a, it's an option that's always available, especially because it's a trench. And if you take that option, it becomes more repeated. And so one of yeah. the things is like, if you do something two days in a row, way yeah. more dangerous if you do something one day and you just don't do it yeah. again. So yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So then, so um, um, let's shift a little bit. We're definitely going to talk more about psychology and all this stuff, but mm -hmm. let's talk about, um, so cognitive behavioral therapy and the lessons. Can you talk to me about the, about the genesis that inspired you to create an application, not to switch mm -hmm. from one-on-one -on -one work to actually creating a um, uh, a game or an application, and mm -hmm. what, what you mm -hmm. took from psychology to bring to that? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm in the UK right now, I'm in London, right? And in the UK we have something that's called the NHS, the National Health System, and it's this amazing structure that if you are a UK citizen or resident, you can go to any GP at any time and get most of the care for free. So most of the things that you will need and aren't like fancy, you will get for free. And psychology and, and treatment for psychological disorders is, is part of that. So I was working in a priory that was specialized on eating and mood disorders for young adults. And when you study psychology, you learn all about treatments, diagnostic symptoms, but you don't learn about the healthcare system, right? So I, I remember that kind of like the, the spark for having a startup and starting the game was I was in a session as second psychologist, kind of like a bit of an internship when you're a learning psychologist. And I was writing down the notes um, and we were talking to a young girl who was there because of an eating disorder. She had been on a wait list for six months. Her first symptoms happened over three years ago when she was 14, she was 17. And I was looking at her and I was seeing, she, she, she's gorgeous. 
she got, she was in a good school. Like all of her family were there to support her for that. So she was completely supported. Um, she had everything going for her. And I could tell she was like barely hanging in there. And I thought like, this is, we should have seen her three years ago. And if that's not possible, because she didn't even know that it's unusual to feel the way she felt, at least we should have seen her when she needed us six months ago when she started looking for help. But when then I, I kind of started looking at the healthcare system and seeing that it is fastly under um, supported for people who need healthcare. I think about only 35% of the people who actively look for mental healthcare receive it. And that's, that's just not enough. And even if I work myself to the bones, I couldn't help enough people that would need my help to feel like I'm actually making a difference. And this was like in 2016, there was a lot of uh, emerging evidence that web and desktop based interventions were almost as good as face-to-face -face therapy. So I was thinking, okay, we know now that for a certain group of people, being able to do the exercise instead of face-to-face -face on a setting on your computer is as effective as going to see a therapist or taking drugs why don't I transform that into an app? Because at that point, people were starting to move from desktop to apps on their private um, space. And uh, that was pretty much the, the birth of my company. So um, I remember going for a dinner and um, saying, uh, I'm gonna do my, my PhD thesis on um, developing an application and you know this is how I'm setting it up. And my friend was like, oh no, you, mean, you need to make that a business. And I'm like, me? I have like zero business knowledge. I would not know how to go about that. I didn't even think it would be an idea. But the thing is, if you're in the private sector, you have a lot more space to do what you want to do faster. You have less restrictions and you, you, can, you can just, you know, own the product. So I started looking into that and um, I, I set up my company, Psych Apps, um, and we, we did our first application. It was for um, anxiety and depression. And we did a clinical trial and we could prove that using it over four weeks significantly lowered your depression and anxiety levels up to the level of a beta blocker. So a, a pharmaceutical, but with no side effects. Because if you look at the side effects of most of the you know pharmaceuticals, you have terrible, terrible side effects and so many of them, right? And it, it, a lot of times people don't even know, like, is it going to work? Is it not going to work? But I'm going to not ever sleep again. I'm going to get nervous. I'm going to have heart palpitations. I'm going to get fat. You know, all these kind of things that people have to deal with. So we're like, I'm going to go and save the world from depression and anxiety for like $9.99. So anybody can afford it. Like, you know, even if, if you're living off of stamps, you can still afford 10 pounds to, you know, take care of yourself. The world did not want to be saved that way. So we had the <laughs> terrible t retention rates. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, guys, I'm helping you here. You're also, you're like, you're like, oh my God, how'd you get an amazing physical shape? Your diet and exercise. And they're like, do you have uh, a pill? Do you have something I could take that doesn't take it? Because we, we, we want to be the heroes of our own story and we're lazy. We want the yes. easiest path. We want to conserve energy as much as possible. And we want yes. to do what's comfortable. But we also yes. want that superpower. We want yes. both of those things. And so, you yes. know, you know that's yes. that's the human condition. Um, so can you talk to me? Like, please continue on to the story yes. of, 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 of uh, being rejected <laughs> by all of civilization and trying to save them. But yeah, <laughs> everybody in the world looked at the app and said, nah. <laughs> 
what? <laughs> how, wait, how long ago was that? And let's, let's, how, 2016. How you, 2016. So when did you start trying to, trying to make the app? And then when did you release it? And then, yeah. and then, and then just so I can time so, that track. 2016, funded, uh, founded the company. Um, we started the clinical trial in 2016. We launched the app 2017. Launched it, crickets. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's me. You know, maybe it's a really bad app or, you know, it's ugly or something like that. Well, when I went back to the books, I saw that that is the major issue that all mental health products that are digital really struggle with. The American Psychology Association says that people spend on average two minutes on a mental health app before they decide it's not for them. And you cannot, you can have the best app in the world that has, you know, the highest significance and um, effect sizes and it really helps people. If people don't stick to it, it's not going to happen. It's not going to help anyone. And therefore it is useless. Right. And I, I thought it is too good an opportunity to just drop it. But how can you get people to stick to something that's good for them? Specifically a potentially unwell target population. So if you're dealing with depression and anxiety, some of the symptoms are lack of curiosity, fatigue, um, concentration issues, cognitive impairment, things like that, right? So if you're too unwell to get up and take a shower, the last thing you're going to do is say, okay, I'm going to go on my uh, CBT journal and I'm going to do my homework and I'm going to do these exercises, right? It, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was thinking about how do I get people to do what's good for them? And my target population that I'm personally interested in is young adults, anywhere, let's say from 16 to 35. That's where it's juicy. That's where most of the mental health symptoms are going to emerge for the first time um, and where you have the most life changes and where it has the biggest effect on your life going forward if you, you crash during this time, right? 16 to 25? 16 to 25. 35, something around that. Okay. Yeah. Right. So that that's the latest. When someone needs to have a toolbox, we'll say, okay, I'm not well. Open the toolbox. What can I do? Yeah. But you said that's the first onset of that. I mean, that's not the first onset. You have the original incidences that are formed usually in, you know, six to seven years old that are the original wounds that cause it, that, that, that only resurfaced and reinforced around 16 to 25. Well, it depends kind of like uh, what we're talking about. Is it a chemical imbalance? Is it learned behavior or learned cognition? Is it something that we, we can't describe? But there, there's a lot of research going into why people are depressed and anxious, but we haven't actually been able to say this is when it happens and this is why it happens. And this is how it happens, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of guesswork. So I, I do agree with you that the, 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 the seed are planted in that age latest, right? But the first symptoms that you can classify as a disorder in the DSM-5 are usually around 15 to 25. Uh, what, what are those, what symptoms? You mean like, like, like unmotivated, like the, uh, that? Yeah. So the, the DSM-5 is a book full of mental health disorders. I think we have like 350 or something different classified disorders, right? And because it's something that is, it's not nature law, it's not gravity, it's not cooking or not cooking water, right? So this is something that we decide here you're well, here you're not well, and this is how we measure it, right? So what we usually do is we have questionnaires where we ask different questions, and they can be anywhere from like uh, one question on a scale from one to seven up to like 60 questions or something like that for a questionnaire, right? And for depression, you will have, uh, one of the most used questionnaires is called the PHQ-8 or 9, at least here in the UK, and it has nine questions, and it will ask you, um, have you felt um, irritable lately? Uh, in the last two weeks, so nearly every day, 
um, every once in a while, not at all, that, those kind of questions, right? So you click that on. And if you have a score that's higher than a certain amount of thing, then it says the probability that you are struggling with depression or anxiety is very, is very high. So the PHQ-9 is for depression. Um, so so that, that's how we measure it. And it's it's not necessarily on point because people who are under threshold, so, you know, the numbers would say they're not depressed, but they're suffering like a dog. Um, who, who is to say that they're not unwell, right? But we have to use some kind of measurements, and that's as good as we got so far. There's a lot of change happening, hopefully, over the years. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. The map's never the terrain, but at least lets you know where you're going. Yeah, exactly. There, there's the d direction, exactly. Um, so so you, you, you went, you released it in 2017. Yes. And crickets. And then you said, crickets. okay, I, a new plan. And so new you, plan. New plan. So yeah. first first threshold of gardening you hit was the realization <laughs> that people don't want to be saved. So what was the next was the next? No, they, they do want to be saved, but they don't want to do homework or exercises they by themselves. Want, yeah, they don't want the yes, yes, they they, they don't yeah. they don't want to use self discipline efforts yeah. and, and yes. grit to grind through things. Yes. They're rather, they're rather cognitively outsource other people's willpower. So plus, um so this this is a little bit it's a little bit unfair because the disorder of depression and anxiety comes with cognitive impairment and the lack of motivation, which means it's not that they don't want to, but they literally can't. Like they don't get up to take a shower, which means that they are sitting there getting anxious about like smelling themselves, but they cannot, their brain will not allow them to get up and take a shower, right? No. So it, it's counterintuitive, but they, they will do other things to get easy dopamine hit. So for example, they will watch Netflix, they will read books or, you know, play games exactly things that are easy easy hit for the brain the brain is like okay you can do this you can't do that 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 and that right yeah. so um i i looked at the target audience and said okay what are these people doing on their free will where can i find them like i i, I they're not coming to me how do i get to them and 70 percent of them are casual gamers Right, and there's a lot of a lot of evidence saying that gaming casually is good for your mental health. So, I thought this is the opportunity. Why don't we become like the met the the vitamin gummy bears of the mental health space, <laughs> and make it pleasurable for people to take care of their mental health? Yeah, that's great. And that's exactly what we did. And I partnered with Collision Studios, a game development company in Los Angeles and it, it, kind of a funny um, story. So I had this idea of how I wanted to do it. I made wireframes, which is kind of like screen by screen of an application of teaching a certain psychological skill. And I set my partner down, who's a proper gamer, like killing zombies and blowing stuff up and stuff, you know, all, God of War, all those kind of things. And I said, can you please go through this, um, these wireframes and, and do that? And he was like, oh my God, this is so boring. When is this over? Oh, this is terrible. How many slides are there? But he was speaking about the skill that I had taught him months later. He still talks about it now, like after, what, five years, right? Awesome. I can't sit down next to my players and force them to do it. So I sent my wireframes to the game development company. They had a look at it. They had a giggle. <laughs> and then they came back to me with their wireframes like four weeks later. And that was pretty much the foundation of the game as is now. And it's, it's, it's completely different. Um, it, it's just kind of using narration and play to be able to get people to stick to um, learning psychological skills. And if you think about it, the brain is wired to learn through play and narration because writing, uh, 
you know, is, is a, is not a, a new thing, but being able to mass read and write is very new, right? So information was passed on through stories, through myths, through um, fairy tales, and you know, through, through explanations. And then how did you learn? You started playing in your dad's shop as a, you know, as a smith or something like that, and then you become a smith over time. So that is exactly what we're using. And you're 100% you're right. I mean, the, the, the original mode of, of knowledge transfer was through storytelling. And mm -hmm. inherent plane, right? And the, and and story gives meaning. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. Plane is, is how you play the game, and so mm -hmm. you, you look at those things, and that's and that's why the, this whole podcast is is the hero's journey. Hero's mm -hmm. journey. Joseph Campbell. What is that? That is the that is the ubiquitous story around the planet of people telling, you know, lessons and insights about previous heroes and gods mm -hmm. and those about how did someone level up in the game of life. Mm -hmm. Well, they left what they're comfortable with. They did a mm -hmm. whole bunch of battles. They got their butt kicked, <laughs> yes. model, right? Somebody kicked their butt. Then some wizard or a game studio said, hey, you're doing things a little wrong. Let me give you a new special power. You mm -hmm. then take that special power, you mm -hmm. integrate it to your own self, and then you mm -hmm. output something, and then you bring that back to your tribe mm -hmm. as rewards and grandeurs, which is exactly which is, this, which is the one of the things it's, it's, it's we love growth. We love it. But yeah. But it's very hard to get us to do it because inherently we want to be part of the tribe. We want to stay yeah. there. So and that's that, that yeah. storytelling thing. That's why this, the, so I can believe it and play a hundred percent. One of my uh, beliefs about this thing is that transformation, um, behavioral change, whatever you want to call it is, should be the byproduct of play. Mm -hmm. it, should, it, yeah. should, it should never be the primary focus because nobody wants it. Nobody yeah. like, uh, nobody yeah. like just, just all you like go, okay, great. You want to be healthy? No more sugar ever again. Ready, yeah. set, go. <laughs> ah! right. and I was like, no, don't make me do it. And so, and it's, it's a really, it's a challenge. But if you can, if you can make it playful, if, yeah. you, make it, if you can make it something that's desirable yeah. and yes. like you, you have a winning thing. So like how, let's ask you this, in terms of the, the you, 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 you partner up with the studio, you mm -hmm. combine together, you, you output this in terms of this. Um, so was it from that moment onwards, this was just to just work or? Or what other threshold guardians did you do battle on the way as you try to as you try to bring this to market? Oh, I have oh oh I have this um, a meme that I I transformed and I uh, published a while back of um, King Kong and Godzilla and then the little uh, <laughs> the little uh, you know blonde lady in the middle of a towering over her and they're fighting yeah. and it was like um, the world. Me and then the little blonde ladies in my startup. <laughs> like I'm Godzilla. Um, or no, wait, am I supposed to be King Kong? I, I don't remember. Anyway, so you, you get the gist, right? So um, I think the biggest uh, foe out there is the lack of funding and um, the lack of awareness, like being able to reach people that they even know we exist because um, right now we have about uh, roughly over half a million um, downloads and users internationally, um, and uh, more than half of that comes from our partnership with Unilever, who took over a lot of, of the awareness. Um, but before that, we were just lucky that people were actively searching for products like ours in the app store because they're all organic. Because we didn't have the money to have a fun uh, to have a, ca a campaign so that everybody knew about us. Like we're no headspace yet, <laughs> you know. So um, I, I would really say that. The biggest foe for 
having an evidence base, which means it's clinically validated product that has gone through all the risk assessments, does what it's supposed to do, and is in, engaging enough for people to actually use it. Um, it, it takes time, it takes money, it takes research, um, and it takes very dedicated people, and that it, it costs all. It costs a lot of money. So I would say that's my, my biggest foe of the dragon of the story, so to speak. Um, and then after that is just persistence, you know, having a bone and sticking to the bone and um, not getting too overwhelmed by the bone needing you to do things that you're not enjoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh they say a professional is someone who loves, uh, who does what they love to do when they don't love to do it. Yes. And there's any points yes. where you hit that, you're like, I love my job, but I hate this moment. You're like that, yeah. that, that, that combination is, but it's, yeah. that's, that's, that's what gets you to level up. So, yeah. um, so you, 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 uh, you took one of my lines, I, I, my questions I normally ask them, which is, which is your dragon, um, which is, uh, money and time, which yes. no shocker, no shocker. <laughs> I didn't shock you, really? Uh, yeah. You know, if I only had unlimited money and time, my startup would be a success. Like, yeah. that's that right there is, is, is a challenge. What do you think is, well, a couple of questions in this, but let's, before we hit the money and time bit, okay, since you redid it, since you revamped it, since you've done the new storyboard, since you've outputted it, um, what, what has been the adoption rate now? Because you said two minutes on average. How, yes. have people, how have people taken it now? Yes. What is, do you yes. have any data that you can share? Like yes, yes, absolutely, like? absolutely. Um, so on average, um, about 65% uh, of the people who use us on day one stay with us for three months, right? So we have a 65% month three retention rate, and our average user um, is about 15 to 20 minutes each session, our average wow. session. So we have about five times higher retention than any other mental health app that I have come across as of yet, which doesn't mean it's out, they're not out there, but that I, the research that I've done, on average, you have month three retention of about 2%, right? And the session duration is anywhere between the two minutes that we discussed and maybe like five to 10 minutes. So it, it fantastic. is, yes, exactly. So there is a bit of a drop-off rate from day one, uh, from download to day one, because it's not for everyone and, and people don't really know what to expect. So it's not an established product. Like you don't say, I'm going to look for a mental health game right now, right? If people kind of stumble across this and say, uh, is that even possible? And then, you know, you have people who don't like the game form, people who aren't looking for mental health, people who are, so it, that, that I think that's something that we could probably work on to kind of bring forth the message and have people habituate to the fact that the mental health game is a thing and, and know what to expect. And sometimes when people are, like we have conversations with people and they're like, you know, it doesn't really feel like a real game to me. And I'm like, so what are you talking about? So they're like, they're saying, yeah, you know, this choose your own adventure, um, becoming human, Detroit. I'm like, they had 50 million funding. Like up to date, we've had half a million in funding. Like, give me 50 million and I promise you, we will be better than uh, becoming human, you know? So it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, um, well, there's a couple things. One, yeah, people don't understand. You, uh, gaming perspective, people just look at it, they're like, I don't like this. Why aren't you like Angry Birds? Yeah. Why aren't you like, you know, you're like- You're not Fortnite. Yeah, exactly. You're like, you're like, yes. Yes, that is, that is, that is accurate. 
that is accurate. <laughs> but there's, there's, they, they make, they make a feature set request that they say one thing, like you know, this, yeah. sh this should have, mm -hmm. multi this should have multiplayer and counselors that help you throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And they're like, and then, but it's, it's easy to say, difficult to execute. So you, you're seeing mm -hmm. that, that other side of the perspective. You said there was a thing. That had five hundred million in funding. What was becoming human? Like I'm not familiar with that. No, fifty million. Fifty million. Fifty million. So fifty million. Yeah. So it's um, a, a French game development company, and it's a choose-your-own-adventure story of um, a droid android that looks very human-like in in the future, and he's a, a detective, more or less, right? And so the decision trees. You, you can play the game like twenty times, and it always has different endings because you don't make the same choice twice usually, right? Um, so that that's like a proper choose your own adventure with multiple levers, and you can do it with multiple people as sa the same. So you have like a team of a hundred people working on it for like five years. You know that's slightly different than like ten people. <laughs> people don't know how deep decision trees go. Like yeah. those things, those things can be massive. You can you the the real decision trees, the ones that completely break out all these patterns in it. It just yeah. starts to multiply versus a healthier manageable ones are ones that can break out and bring come back to the light. So they branch yeah. out for a second and they just organize yeah. yeah. the center. So that's a, you, yeah. you need that. Otherwise, like if you, if you try to just spread that out at the beginning, everything becomes mediocre, right? Yeah. Like, and or you just need a tribe of writers that all stick together and they say, I'm taking it this way. You have to connect it there. And they're all on the same page and you have this I, huge wall. <laughs> A tribe of writers is a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's gonna take. It's, it'll take time. So that, I guess people appreciate that. Um, mm. So, okay. So that's 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 interesting that, that you're being compared with that. So, okay. So you you've done it. You've raised that. Okay. Bringing you back to the question of um, if only I had more money and more time to, and then everything would be wonderful. What is the biggest challenge you have? Or getting more money is that is that raising money or is that is that making more sales what areas what area are you looking at to actually get the the, the revenue that you need to be yeah. able to execute um right now it, it's kind of both so um we just hired our commercial director who is working on sales um and we've we've pivoted from b2c to b2b so we're actually um we would like companies to take over the costs for their employees so their employees can get the benefits but um and the company as well for having healthy employees, but people don't have to pay it out of their own pocket. So that's, you know, ideal for us, win-win for everyone. Um, so that's on the sales side right now and kind of educating the market about the product, why the product works, why it's okay to buy your employee a game. <laughs> I don't want my employee to play during work time. Hey, the 15 minutes they take on a level of ours is going to benefit your company more than if they just sit on their chair staring to space because they're depressed or they're on the verge of getting depressed, but okay. Um, and then we're also fundraising right now. So uh, we're launching our fundraising campaign in September. And um, I guess the market will let us know if um, they agree with us or not. Um, our, our offering is... is stronger than a lot of the things I see out there that are getting funding. So I am, I'm optimistic. When you say you're launching your fundraising campaign, I mean, is this like a Kickstarter campaign? Is this a... No, no. It just means that everybody's all hands on deck, speaking to as many investors, you know, um, having the, the um, pitch deck ready, pitching, calling up, you know, getting your contacts warm and everything. Yeah. It's a, it's a, uh, if you've never done it and I have done it, it's a, you it's poor a, thing. <laughs> yeah, you, you understand it is a it is a uh, 
you are on the road. You, it's a whole process. It's a whole yes. thing. And, and, and it's got to be a lot of it's, it's got to be a major focus. It's got to be, it can't just be like, oh, I'm just, just doing the background. It's just, I'm not, I'm going to, you know, it's, 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 it's got to be this massive, massive it's mm-hmm. its own business unto itself. So, yeah. Um, at what, what advice or guidance would you give to people that are looking to raise money for, say, applications that help people become better, what they're going for? They're, you know, they want to make this world a better place and they've got a, they've got an inkling of an idea and they're like, I, I'm just, you know what, I'm going to go and raise 50 million. Bada-bing, bada-boom. You know, give, and, <laughs> advice number one, give me half. <laughs> <laughs> Become a partner. Spoken like a true entrepreneur. Uh, that's wonderful. Like, there's, there's, but there's a lot of people that want to do change. And, but, they're, they're, you know, some people, they're just starting college. There's just, they're, they're fresh yeah. out of the boat, right? Yeah. They're, just, they're, yeah. they're in the corporate space and they just, they yeah. just, they're not happy. And they're like, yeah. anything but this. And so they jump into that path. What advice yeah. would you give to someone? I would say that you can learn from a lesson that I had to learn the hard way because nobody, well, some people did tell me that, but I I chose not to listen, (laughs) Um, was to have a business model before you go build anything. So uh, with our first version of the the game, we had a five-week course. We had um, effect sizes like three times that of a better blocker. We had insane retention rates and everything. But it was in-app purchases, uh, and you can make like maybe two ninety nine off of the game, right? And it was not a business model that was um, uh, liable. Like you, you couldn't raise money with it. You couldn't make money with it um, because you have to put marketing money in to be able to. And our our customer acquisition rates, you know, it, it didn't add up. So that's when we pivoted to the B2B with a different product. So we did a lot of um, changes. So we, from business to consumer to business to business. And um, that way, you, if you get a business, like let's say Unilever, they have uh, over 100,000 employees, right? So the process is a lot longer, but at the end of the day, all of a sudden you have a pool of 100,000 customers. Whereas I, in the B2C world, I have to go after each customer individually, right? Which takes so much more energy. Yeah. And it's a completely, but please don't forget that we're also, we're completely, we're very much restricted ethically and psychologically than other games are. I can't put te- treasure chests or, you know, um, a gambling thing or ads for making your wiener bigger or something like that into my game because we're working with, with a, I hope you don't like bleep me up the whole time. So no, sorry. no, there's no bleeping. No, we, we, we say, we say fuck, we curse on this one. It's like completely okay, good. No, please, please. Cause I just thought about how, how like you want to kick a man when he's down. It's like, are, you, are you feeling depressed? Are you sad or this? Have you tried taking these pills to becoming more of a man? I was like, ah, oh, that's. Yes. I mean, I mean, it'd probably be very. Yes. But it's definitely some, some black hat gaming going on there. Yes. So, yeah. And and there, there's just some some things that people who are experiencing mental illness are a lot more vulnerable to because their brains don't work the way they should work, right? So it, it, that's one of the reasons why people are so scared of Facebook um, making an algorithm that can predict these kind of things. Because okay, you want an easy customer to buy your bad stuff give it to this group you know yeah. um so uh so business model you're talking about you're talking about shifting from b to c yes to so b. before exactly and that was our business model and that's something that now the projections are great our customers love it the investors love it it, it makes sense right yeah. and it's, it's compassionate capitalism because at the end of the day it's a win-win for everyone there's no loser in in this in this product right in in, in this um business model so if you want to be a startup and you want to have an idea, 
make sure you can make money with it first because neither you nor will you be able to live off of that if you can't, nor will you be able to get investment for it. It, and, and that's the, um, it's interesting. I, I, we talk about these, these, these whole versions of ourselves, right? We talk about mm -hmm. like, there's both the dark and their light. There's, a, there's both the, I want this, but I don't want that. Right. There's the, a lot of people that focus on the compassion size, never want to look at the money piece. Mm -hmm. and, so when they, and so that whole money piece, like I want to make the better, the world a better place. Well, how are you going to make money? I'm not going to worry about that. And until, well. <laughs> until, until it becomes so critical and so dire that it, everything is now an emergency and they're behind the eight ball. So, mm -hmm. um, so then you're, so the, and what you're talking about is the different ways you can hunt things. You can hunt what, um, there's a terminology, I don't know where it comes from. Rabbits, deers, or elephants. Rabbits mm -hmm. are consumers. Uh, deers are like, you know, businesses, right? Uh -huh. Object, you know, mid-sized businesses. And then elephants are like enterprises. Yeah. So each yeah. one takes levels of, yeah, teams and skills and times and energy. Yeah. So, you know, you can hunt yeah. a rabbit, but as much energy as it takes, you just it's gone. So yeah. yeah. Um, so then, when you're talking about thinking about the business model bit, is the, the exercise is how do you make money? Is this sustainable? Can I can I show that it's profitable for me? Mm -hmm. and, and then can I show it's profitable for my investors? Is that the exactly? Is there any yeah. other questions that they would ask or think about in that process? Um, well, you know, if if you are a non-technical, non-business oriented person like myself, it really makes sense to, to partake in some kind of accelerator, one that is a, not accredited because I don't think there's an accreditation for accelerators, but well-known and, you know, has great ratings and, and has a good outcome with people. So I was part of Techstars Berlin 2019. And um, I remember one of my very first pitch pitches in 2017, I went to speak to an investor and he said, What's your traction? And I asked him, what is traction? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to hide behind my like, microphone. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, go away, go away. Hey, you got to start somewhere and do some. Exactly. Okay. But that process will be sped up and it will allow you to partner with the right people going through that process. So, so I went from kind of bumbling around, great product clinically evidence, you know, the, the thing about like no idea of what I'm doing from a Berisha to having a COO, uh, you know, who, who comes from private equity space and worked with AXA for certain years, the head salesperson of the HR tech industry join us and everything. So it does make a difference um, to, to, to go to one of these incubators or accelerators just to kind of make sure that you learn the things that you wouldn't know otherwise. And why would you? Like, I'm a psychologist. Why would I need to know what traction is? Fair, fair and valid, and it's there's. I mean, every every community, every ecosystem has its own language, right? It has their yes. own stuff, right? Psychology. Yes. You know, we we're going back and forth on you know um, CBT training and that, that type of stuff, right? That's a specific language. Uh, the startup world as well. And if you want to find the language, join the community. I've, I've been yes. a part of a startup, and I've I've had very similar things where I get on stage and like you're like this, and they ask you a question, you're like I have I have no idea, <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Yeah, like it's, it's a very painful thing, but it's you're right. Yeah. It's, it's very it's very beneficial. So, um, on that note, how you're going through this? You're, you know, mm -hmm. as, as you know, the uh, I believe that startups are the heroes of this of this reality because you are literally creating things that can help this world become better. What? How do you armor up against these types of setbacks? Uh, that happens. That uh, you get super embarrassed on stage. You say you 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 you, you talk about. Um, penises on podcasts like, <laughs> no. like how, do you, 
how do you how do you armor up against these things? What do you specifically do for yourself so that you can you can protect your heart and you can keep going and you can keep that positive mental attitude? Mm -hmm. I would say that I've kind of adapted something that comes from Buddhism, but is core to positive psychology and to a lot of other things. Um, and that would be the three things, non-judgment, non-attachment, and non-resistance. Non and that, that's really my, my mantra. So non-judgment is like, sometimes things are the way they are, and by judging how they are, just adds a layer of pain to it. So for example, if an investor declines investing in me, an investor where I find it's a perfect fit and we really benefit both from it, and they say we're not interested, that is, it is what it is, right? And as soon as I add meaning to it, judgment saying this is terrible, I'm not just suffering from the occasion, I'm also suffering from the judgment to it. Non-attachment. This is, I think, the hardest because specifically as a founder, you over-identify with your product, right? So that you are the startup. And there's this cult about founders and their startups and stuff like that. So if you fail, you are a failure, right? So I try to say every day, not every day, because oh, thankfully this doesn't happen every day, but like at, at, at crossing points, at, at um, uh, what do you call it when you? Uh, uh, luminary forks. periods, forks yeah. in the road, yeah, decisions. Forks in the road, yeah. decision, exactly. Say, have I done everything that I could to have I given it everything that's healthy, like, yes, it's good. If, if it breaks down now, if it goes bust, if something happens, I can look back and I said, I, I give it my all. I feel good about this. I am not attached. It's not me. Right. And the third is non-resistance. So if that said investor says we're not investing in you and you keep on grinding cognitively against, did I send this email? Did they see this? Why wouldn't they end this, this resisting the fact you are spending so much energy and negative energy into something that is absolutely futile. Yeah. It's, it's such, it's such a, uh, it's, I, I, I feel again, the, the, uh, the truest truths. Um, this is something that came to me on a large dose of plant medicine. Um, mm -hmm. it is the ability to hold two opposites in your head at the same time. It's like, mm -hmm. but we are, we are both the, uh, you know, are we, are we one with the universe or are we an individual self? Mm -hmm. We are technically, we're both, we are both. And if you can hold those two opposites in your mind at the mm -hmm. same time, that is like the truest truth. And mm -hmm. the one thing that I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around as you, as you're talking about this is, um, in order to succeed, you, mm -hmm. you, you, you have to have the best judgment. You have to, mm -hmm. you have to feel that this is meaningful and purposeful and every action has meaning and purpose and you feel attached mm -hmm. to it and you have to persist the resistance to get going at the mm -hmm. same time you you need to be non-judgmental have non-attachment and non-resistance mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i'm trying to i'm trying to mentally because i think i'd probably i probably lean more on the judgment attachment persist push through kind of persevere you know mm -hmm. kind of thing mm -hmm. and that that whole thing of like having that how do you how do you have that like, how do you become aware that you're over attaching? Like, how do you, cause it's about staying on that fine line. So mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you, how do you mm -hmm. become aware that you're on one side or off one side? Yeah. I think that that's a practice of self-reflection that of knowing yourself and your well-being. And when you start, 
tittering towards the unwellness. There was one part in our, um, our as a company, it was in 2017 or something, that one of the development companies we were discussing with payment kept on ramping up their costs over and over again. They knew we were in a very vulnerable situation that we were like two months away from going bankrupt. And they went from like 60K to 90K to 110K. And it just- A month I, or what do you think? No, no, not a month, a, a quote to develop what we, what we needed to have developed. Oh. And so I said, they, I can feel that they are taking advantage of me being in this situation and um, needing to have the product change in a certain way. This was when we were moving to gamification. And it was not, it was not good for me. So I, I said to myself, I am going to stop talking to them, even if it kills the company. Like I will not allow anyone to have that kind of power, negative power over me, myself and my product like that. Especially if, especially if it comes from a non good place, you know, that, that taking advantage of the knowingly doing something that is not good for someone else. So I was like, and then the thing is that, you know, when you, you close a window, God opens a garage door. We partnered with Collision Studios who were much better, much cheaper, are investors in us now. And, and you know, have, have brought, brought the game to life, which they hadn't even contemplated. We, you know, it was a completely different product. So I was like, I love this. I've been doing it for three years. At that point, I was highly attached to it. And like, everybody's going to look at me. She says she didn't do anything in her life. Like, what has she been doing? Uh, and I said, I'm going to kill this right now. And thankfully, that didn't happen. But I think that ability to make that choice and to know that I can make it gives me a lot of strength. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fantastic. And, then, and again, that right there creates a new, when you come to a moment where you feel like you're going to die, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the belly of the whale. And, mm -hmm. and then you accept the death only mm -hmm. to be only to be lifted up in that situation. You know mm -hmm. that you have the ability to die in mm -hmm. these other situations because you mm -hmm. now have proof, not just like wishing and hoping and saying positive things. You took mm -hmm. it, you, you, you had a, you had a, a crisis moment of death, mm -hmm. death of your company, mm -hmm. the death of you, mm -hmm. and you were mm -hmm. able to say, you know what, I accept it, I accept mm -hmm. death. And then you rose, you're like, I'm alive! And then <laughs> you go into that whole moment where yeah, you just, yeah. you carry yeah. on, and then you get that, yeah. and, then, and so the next moment where you're yeah. gonna come across it, that's a really yeah. powerful, beautiful thing that you said. And you're right, because you don't want to make decisions from places of scarcity, places of desperation, mm -hmm. places of mm -hmm. all of that, all of that stuff. And so that is a, mm -hmm. a, is a, a, a wonderful heroic moment um, that you shared. And I, and I think it's amazing. Um, okay. So, you know, with that being said, um, is there, is there anything else you'd like to let people know about before you tell them how they get a hold of you? Um, I mean, obviously, you know, give the, the the game a go and um uh if you want we can how, we can how do they find the game um just go to www.eqgame.com so it's e-q-u-o-o game.com um and there they can read all about it get a feel for the game there's a trailer so if you go through the trailer you understand if um it's something for you or not but if even if our game is not for you. There's a lot of other products out there that are also evidence-based and safe and engaging. And you know, just and it might not be an app. It might be a, a dance group. It might be you know, graffiti with the boys or girls where you're allowed to do it. <laughs> you know, it could be other things. Just you know, don't stop looking for that thing that gives you the the tools to be able to deal with whatever life throws at you. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, find help from wherever you can get it. Yeah. Uh, you get uh, uh, EQOO.com uh, to, to, to find uh, the, the app. Um, and yeah, wh- wherever, if you're, if, uh, if you're drowning in an ocean, you can grab any, any lifeboat preserver thing that gets thrown your way. Um, yeah. And if people want to find you, get a hold of you, um, how do they get a hold of you? Um, I guess LinkedIn is probably the easiest or, um, on my website, you can also um, write an email. It says contact form. It goes all to me cause we're very small. <laughs> so, um, that's probably the safest way. So go to EQUOO game.com and if you write you fill out the contact form you will be pinging me and um i'm always on my phone unfortunately which you shouldn't do <laughs> um and so i will get back to you yeah i completely agree uh, awesome <laughs> thank, i appreciate your honesty and your insights and i love all the work that you do so thank you so much for coming yeah. on the podcast um have a beautiful and blessed day and i will see you in another reality thank you don bye now Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.